0: I'm so pumped! This series that we're in right now, uh, called "Listen," and I'm uh, I'm grateful for to Mariner Church, uh, the the people that developed the uh, Rooted curriculum uh, for the series. I worked with them on it uh, a little bit, got permission to to kind of use. I was inspired by the idea, and then just kind of took it a, a whatever direction. But uh, very excited about that. We've been talking about this ability and need to hear from God. And it all started a few weeks ago with this conversation around uh, John ten twenty seven, where uh, Jesus articulates as a good shepherd who he is. And he says, my sheep, talking about us, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And, and this idea that we listen to God's voice He knows us, which is horrifying or exciting, depending on how you feel about being fully known by God, and then we follow him. Is kind of this theme that we've been walking through. How in the world do we listen and hear from God? And then the next week, we talked about the fact that God's really good at sending us a text message. And nobody really ignores text message in, today, in today's culture, right? You can ignore calls. Um, you can avoid voicemail and email. But when you get a little bling, right, it doesn't matter if you're in an important conversation. You'll just kind of go mm, take a glance at that and see what's going on and read your text. We all read our text messages. And then we wonder, God, why aren't you speaking to me? And he's like, I text message you every day. You have access to my text every day, and if you would even give the, near the amount of time that you spend checking your other text to just seeing what I might say to you today, I'll speak to you from my word, and we talked about that, how to do that, and, so, and some of that uh, space, and then today we're going to walk into an area that's a little, uh, a little tougher sometimes for us to understand, and I'm going to be transparent with you as your uh, pastor that I'm just going to tell you the truth. Uh, when we start talking about this stuff, I learn new things every time. And so, I don't know uh, everything, and I've forgotten some things I should know, and I know more than I probably am, am useful for. And sometimes I dive in and I relearn things. And I don't believe the same thing today about some of the stuff we're talking about as I believed 10 years ago, because the Spirit continues to grow me and teach me. And, uh, and I'm still on a journey just like you're on a journey. So, if you leave today and you feel like I don't fully get all of that, congratulations, you're on my team. <laughs> we're trying. And we're walking into some of the mysteries of God and trying to learn how to hear his voice. And, uh, and it's challenging. And sometimes it's difficult. And I've got to be honest with you. There are some people who I talk to, and it seems like when I ask them about hearing from God, they've got a list of things they've heard from God today and recently. Well, God told me to go to the store at two o'clock today and he told me to buy grapes and I bought grapes and then I was walking down the aisle and he told me to buy and you're like, man, how are you getting this kind of dialed into the voice of God? Can I get some of that? Anybody else in that, in that boat? <laughs> Yeah, you know someone who has that. Maybe you have that kind of hotline to, to the Spirit of God, and he speaks to you that way. And, and, uh, and some, for some of us, though, it's frustrating because we feel like I'm trying to hear from God, and the Spirit's voice I know wants to speak to me. And I hear that God's speaking all the time, but I don't know how to tune in, and sometimes I'm just not sure if it's him. Maybe we might relate a little bit more to that tension. Sometimes I get frustrated. It feels like everyone's hearing from the Holy Spirit except me. And I need that to do this job. So I'm being honest with you today. Sometimes I'm moving in faith, sometimes I'm hearing God's voice clearly, and how does that work? There's some mystery in there, and I'm going to kind of try to break open a little bit of that today, and, and uh, if I broke through all of it, we'd be here till next week. So I'm just going to give us kind of a, a, a look at this, and, and if you're here and you're visiting with us today, I'm so glad that you're here. This is a great Sunday, because you're hearing a pastor just be honest that we're all struggling and trying to figure out how to do this thing. We are. We're in this together and I'm in it with you and you're, you're not going to hear anyone stand before you and say, this is the math and one plus one equals two every time and you can just do it this way and it'll work forever. We're just talking about trying to figure out how do we live with a God who's relational and loves us and knows us and takes us on a journey and I hope it's encouraging and exciting for you. If you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you know, one of the many amazing things about Rooted, and, and if you're not sure what Rooted is, it's just our, our beginning discipleship conversation, small group launching curriculum. One of the amazing things is, even for folks that have been walking with Jesus for a long, long time, we realize we got gaps in what we know and what we believe, and sometimes we believe things because we've just heard someone say it over and over again. So I'm pretty sure it must be true. True. But we've never actually gotten into the word of God or studied it and tried to figure out if we actually believe this. So, so I find out things that I didn't know all the time. Like, I never forget the first time, this is, I'm, I'm off script, but this is the first time I realized that Samson probably wasn't buff. Right? Because all my life I saw, like, the flannel graph Samson and he was yoked. Right? Long flowing Fabio hair. And he was, like, ripped for the young kids, um, uh, Thor hair. Let me give you someone else that you might know, right? Before the haircut in Ragnarok, Uh, (laughs) right? Uh, And I just had a picture, Samson was yoked. And so I remember, I'm reading through the scriptures and I'm looking for the the description of how yoked Samson is. And it never says that Sam. maybe he was yoked, but it never said, you know what it does say? They were always amazed at his great strength. Doesn't it seem like if he was yoked that they wouldn't be so amazed at how strong he was? Why would they be amazed at his great strength if he was hulked out all the time? I'm just saying. So I remember just thinking, man, my entire life I believed I have a picture of Samson in my head, and now I had to flip the picture. I thought he was buff like me. All right. Don't laugh so much. It's because the hair, right? <laughs> Easy. Come on, church fam. So we're all on this journey, and we're learning, and we're, and we're growing, and we're trying to figure it out. And, and, uh, and, and we're trying to see how does God speak to us. And today I want to talk about how he speaks to us through his spirit. And we're going to mess around with this and try to figure it out a little bit. And I I have a funny story from you, and it's not my story. It's from a guy named Tony Campolo, who's a uh, uh, Christian author and speaker and teacher. And he tells this story about a time that he was asked to speak at a Pentecostal college. If you don't know what a Pentecostal college is, we're praying hard at those colleges. Before the service, eight men had him kneel so they could place their hands on his head and pray. So he's getting ready to preach. Eight guys come around. They're like, we want to put our hand on you. He was glad to have the prayer, it says, but each of them prayed a long time. And the longer they prayed, the more they pushed on his head. (laughs) And then even some of them seemed to wander as they were praying in their prayers. One of the eight men didn't even pray for Tony. He prayed for some other guy he was concerned about. He began to pray and he goes, dear Lord, you know Charlie Stolfitz. He lives in that silver trailer down the road about a mile on the right. Lord, you know the trailer. It's on the right-hand side, the silver one, down the road about a mile. And Tony Tony wanted to interrupt and say, God already knew where the guy lived. God didn't need directions. But he just knelt there trying to keep his head upright. And says the prayer goes on and on. And finally, he's like, Lord, Charlie told me this morning that he was going to leave his wife and his three kids. Would you step in and do something? God, bring that family back together and Finally, after the prayer time had ended, Tony went on and he preached at the college chapel service and things got, went well. He got into his car and he began to drive home. As he drove onto the Pennsylvania Turnpike, he saw a hitchhiker. And for some reason, it wasn't his usual practice, but he felt compelled to stop and pick him up. Compolo said, after driving for a few moments, I said, hi, well, my name is Tony Campolo and what's yours? And he goes, my name is Charlie Stolfitz. <laughs> he says, I couldn't believe it. I got off on the next turnpike on the exit, and I headed back. He looked at me and got uneasy after a few minutes, and he said, Hey, mister, where are you taking me? He said, I'm taking you home. The man narrowed his eyes and asked, Why? And I said, Because you just left your wife and three kids. So this blew him away. And he goes, Yeah, that's right. And with shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door. He never took his eyes off me. Then I really did him in, Tony said. I drove right to his silver trailer. And when I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge. And he said, how do you know that I live here? And I said, God told me you lived here. (laughs) When he opened the trailer's door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. And she whispered in his ear. And the more they talked, the bigger her eyes got. I said, with real authority, now the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk with you and you're going to listen. And man did that listen. That afternoon, I led those two young people to Jesus. So how does God speak? How do we know the voice of God, and and how do we know when it's God and what God is doing? I think we know, of course, that he texts us through the Bible, but does he ever speak to us directly? You know, I've read this thing, and if you just start reading through the Bible, you get this picture like God speaks all the time every moment. You're turning the page, and he speaks, and you turn the page, and he speaks, and you turn the page, and he speaks, and you don't realize that sometimes, historically, 40 years goes by between one page and the next page, and they haven't heard a word from the God. Sometimes the same person is hearing from God, and the next time they're hearing from God, 10, 15, 20 years have gone by, and so... For those of us that feel like, well, I got a word from God, I've heard from God before, and I'm waiting, and it seems like it's been a long time, welcome to co- the good company of many of those that you hear in the Bible and think of as heroes and heroic in the Scripture. Sometimes long periods and stretches of time go by between times that we know with certainty that we've heard from God. As a matter of fact, at one point, 400 years goes by between Malachi giving direction on how to worship God with propriety and how to give your best to God. And angels showing up to shepherds in a field saying, I bring you good tides of great joy. 400 years. Some of you are like, I've been waiting for God to speak for like a year. 400 years. So let me remove a little of the immediate urgent pressure. If you're feeling like I haven't heard from God for a while, like directly heard from God for a while, let me remove just a little bit of that pressure. You're in good company. At the end of that 400 years, Jesus shows up and Jesus begins to bridge the gap for us in this broken down system of our sin, putting a cap on our prayers in between us and God, Isaiah says. There's like a lid above our prayers between us and God because of our rejection of who God is and our false picture of who we are. There's a broken down system and God sends Jesus in to bridge that gap and demonstrate for us that we can be human and have a relationship with the mighty creator of the universe. So Jesus, on a mission to demonstrate who the Father is, he says, I only do what the Father tells me, what I see the Father doing, demonstrating who God is and what God's like. He's literally, and I say this kind of jokingly, but he's literally God in a bod. He's like, this is what it looks like to live on this earth and be one with the Father. And I'm going to take you through. If you got your Bibles, I'm going to be in the book of John. I'm going to jump around from chapter 7 to 14 to 16. And so uh, we might get out of here today. When they finally just release the Kraken, I mean the children, because we're talking for so long, (laughs) we'll dismiss. I'm teasing children, workers. If you're listening to the podcast, we love you. (laughs) On John chapter 7, verse 37 So Jesus, the second half of the book of John, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's on his way to the cross and he's beginning to articulate to the people who have been following him and put his trust in him, that, that they need to understand that this isn't going the way they think it's going. They think they're on their way, and eventually they're going to build an army, and they're going to overthrow Rome, and they're going to have victory, and they're going to restore Jerusalem to its former glory, and the temple's going to be big, and they're going to have all their systems back in place. And Jesus has no intention of that. He's going to build a kingdom on earth that's greater than any earthly Kingdom, But he also is going to Jerusalem with a destiny not to conquer Rome, but to conquer death. And they don't understand. That's a hard thing for them to get a picture of. And so he begins articulating, I'm going to be gone eventually. But when I'm gone, you're going to have help to manage this thing. And so we're going to look at a couple of passages where Jesus kind of articulates what that help is going to look like today. And so normally I kind of rest in one passage, but today you're going to have to flip around with me a little bit. Um, In John chapter 7, verse 37, there's a festival. And on the greatest and last day of that festival, it says, verse 37, Jesus stood in a loud voice. He said, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. That's weird. He's been articulating this principle of water that is living and, and greater than just what you need to solve your physical needs, but will solve all of your needs and your design. And then listen to this, verse 38, he goes, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now that's amazing. I thought that living waters thing was like the cheesy song. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Come on. Makes the dead to walk and the blind to see. <laughs> Open prison door, sets the captives free. I got a river. <laughs> Spring up away. <laughs> Come on. We gotta do that. We, got, we were talking about we gotta do that song. Let's bring it back. But I thought that was just like cool Christian lyrics from, I don't know, when that song was written, but maybe the 70s or so. 74, someone crushed it. <laughs> right? I was like, the 70s were a weird time, rivers of life, water, whatever, that's where it came from. No, it's right here in the scriptures. Jesus says, listen to me, if you believe in me, as the scripture has said, if you read the text message and you believe, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Verse 39, John gives us clarification. By this, he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So, John clarifies. He says, When you believe in me, once the Spirit comes, you're going to live the kind of life where there is living water flowing out of you. It's going to come into you and flow out of you. What's inside of you is going to be good, it's going to be healthy. It's going to be life-giving. Your faith and trust in me will literally transform the sludge and crud and junk that you think is inside of you. I will redeem, restore, renew that. And what comes out of you is going to be life-giving. Church, that's good news. That's really good news. He says, it's gonna come out of you. So come to me, trust me, and then what comes out of you will be good and life-giving. You were designed by God to be a catalyst of life here on earth. That's crazy. So how does that work? John says it's by the spirit that was given after he was glorified. Jesus says, whoever believes in me is gonna have that. So you're wondering, do I have the spirit? And he says, well, do you believe in me? Because if you believe in me, I will provide that peace and living water will come out of you. I wonder sometimes if we think about how important it is that what comes out of us is life-giving. It should be life giving. If I spend time and I talk with you and 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 you are talking about your heart and what's going on, what, what comes out of you should be life giving. should be life. It's part of the evidence that you believe. It's connected to that. I'll just let you wrestle with that for a second. We're supposed to be a catalyst of life. So, a few chapters later, chapter 14, you can turn over a couple pages. Jesus reiterates this theme He's in Jerusalem now. They've had this triumphal entry. Everyone's like, whew, Hosanna to the Kings, awesome. Prophecy's being fulfilled. Everyone's on the hype train. They're like, I know Jesus keeps talking about dying, but I'm pretty sure what he means by dying is he's going to kill all the Romans. I mean that's kind of what's going on in their head, and he keeps kind of reiterating. He's like, "You're not following me. This is all so that the prophecies can be fulfilled, and I can identify throughout all of history and time that I am who I say I am. But this is not going the direction you think it's going." And then they have this supper, and he says, uh, 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 "This is this cup is the new covenant in my blood," and he starts to say, "There's a new way I want you to think about your relationship with God." And then he washes their feet, and he says, "I'm going to demonstrate you how to be great in the kingdom." is you're going to be the servant of all. And then in John chapter 14, he's trying to communicate. And they're they're starting to get this picture. They're getting nervous. They're like, what do you mean you're going to leave? Now imagine for three years you've been walking with Jesus, and every question, no matter how small, you just kind of go, hey, Jesus. And then he answers. Maybe he tells you a story or gives you an illustration that drives you crazy, but at least he answers. He answers. And you have the kind of relationship with Jesus where you know what he smells like. You know what cologne he's rocking. He's an old spice guy. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing, right? But you know what he smells like. You know what he looks like. You can, you can tell if he rested okay by the way his body moves when he... Like, you're that close with Jesus. You know the tones and inflections of his voice. And you know... When you have a question, you can just turn and say, so Jesus, help me understand this. And he's right there. And now he's saying, in a little while, I'm going to be gone. And you're going to have to take this out from here and tell people what I've told you. Can you imagine the panic button a little bit? What do you mean you're going to be gone? I mean, this is a group of mostly predominantly fishermen, lower middle class, working Folks, they don't have a particularly sharp. You know, the most educated one is probably Judas. That's why they gave him the money. He had the, the, uh, the respect of the group. He's the sharpest one of them. And they're looking at Jesus and they're like, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this if you don't tell us what to do every day. Verse 15 of chapter 14, Jesus is giving direction on how to keep following him when he's not physically right there with them. And he says, well, if you love me, just keep my commands. He's like, I already told you what to do. If you love me, keep doing it. And I will ask the father, and he's going to give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Now, advocate is also translated in some versions as counselor, helper, intercessor, strengthener. He says, if you love me, keep doing what I've told you to do. What's the command? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If you love me, just keep doing that. Everything hinges on you doing that well. And if you, if you need some help, you can ask because I'm gonna be with the Father and I'm gonna give you another advocate, another counselor, another helper. Verse 17, that's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you i will not leave you as orphans i'll come to you jesus says the holy spirit is a spirit of truth he says the world's not always going to recognize him but you're going to recognize it because he lives with you and in you when you made a decision for jesus you have to understand there's now a spirit of truth living in you and living with you this is why i say we're the truth tellers the followers of Jesus, we can't, we can't abide not the truth because we have the spirit of truth in us and with us. And so when we know that something's being told to us, that's not the truth, that's breaking down the fabric of what we believe and telling us that up is down, left is right, we go, ah, I can't handle that tension. Why? Because we have a spirit of truth in us. This is why sometimes people say, well, you're not tolerant. We're like, wait a second. I can't be tolerant if tolerant means I have to deny truth because the spirit of truth is in me and with me and demands truth. Now, that truth is always wrapped in love and it's always packaged in the heart of Jesus, which sees the goodness and design of God in every single soul you encounter. When you wield the truth like a sledgehammer, you don't look like Jesus at all. So let's be careful. But let's be honest, we're the truth tellers, we're the truth bearers, we're the truth carriers. And so we have to live in truth. We have no choice, that tension. You cannot be comfortable living in a lie. You cannot perpetuate something that's not true. How do we define truth then? Well, truth is having a a, 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 a resemblance to the original and the original is Jesus, the truth always looks like Jesus. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. And then you skip ahead a little bit of verse 25, and he says, all this I've spoken while I'm still with you. It's like, I'm telling you this right now so that you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> right? He's like, I don't want you to have this one wrong. This is not a mystery. This is not a parable. This is not a, a, a paradox. I'm just clearly stating for you. I will send you a comforter, the spirit of truth. He will come and live with you and be with you. And he will counsel you and advise you and strengthen you. That's his job. I will do that, okay? I'm not tying that up in some mystery. It's clear. I'm speaking it while I'm still with you. Verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. He says, that's that spirit of truth that gives you the reminding poke in your soul. When you're about to do that thing, you know you're not supposed to do. And you go, I think I want to do this. And all of a sudden there's a poke that reminds you of what you know and the truth of who you are. And you go, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. He's teaching me and reminding me in all truth. The Spirit will remind you of what Jesus has said. The Spirit will remind you of the text messages that you've read. Sometimes you'll be laying into your kids because they deserve it. And suddenly the Spirit will stir up in you and say, ah, don't exasperate your children. And you'll be like, ah, I need to stop. That's not the thing. I got too far past the point of correction and now I'm in exasperation. Sometimes you'll see someone and you're like, "Oh." And all the emotions of something they've wronged and done to you will stir up. And you're like, oh, "I can't stand." And the spirit will go, "Remember, remember when I said don't murder someone in your heart? Because it's the same experience to your soul as if you murdered them in the flesh. And the damage and the weight you're carrying in your soul, for murdering them, remember that? And this po- the Holy Spirit will just poke you and remind you of what you know. You see someone, and you're like, shh, I'm never forgiving that person. I'm never forgiving that person. They brought 22 items to the 20 item lane in Walmart. <laughs> I hope lightning strikes them on the way to the car. I'm never forgetting that person. I'm never forgiving. I'm being lighthearted so that we can joke about it, so that we can go to some real truth. And the Holy Spirit reminds you of the text message that God sent you that says you have to forgive because you've been forgiven and the same measure you judge others is the judgment that's gonna be used against you. And don't you like being judged by the measure that says, I love you, I value you, I recognize you're not perfect, but I'm perfecting you and I have a plan and a purpose for you. Don't you like being judged by that measure? Let's keep that the measure. Let me introduce you to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, guys. You're like, I don't know how to hear from the Holy Spirit, but that sounds familiar. So the disciples and Jesus, he's washed feet, he's fed them, he's told them he's leaving. They've panicked, he's told them to relax. They walk out to the garden. He, he, he. Runs his hands along these vines, these grapevines, and he teaches them. And he says, "I'm the vine, and you're the branches. Remain in me; stay connected to me, and you'll have life. Get disconnected from me, and there'll be death. And whatever happens, you remain in me; you stay connected to me." And then in chapter 16, he says, "And I'm going away, so you're gonna have to stay with me." Can you imagine the stress that they're feeling as it's starting to get more and more real that he's saying that he's not going to be here. We're going to have to figure out how do we stay and remain in him? Chapter 16, verse 7, he says, but then very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Remember I was talking about how he wants our good? He believes that you're good. He says, it's for your good that I'm going away because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, this is powerful, and I don't understand it. just going to be honest. Somehow, he has to leave for the Holy Spirit's turn to happen, right? I don't know why that works that way. I can't tell you the math. I can just tell you it's how Jesus described this process needed to work. He says, unless I go, unless I pay the price for your sin, unless I create this bridge back to your understanding of right relationship to the Father, unless I blow up this sacrificial system that says I'm bad and here's my penance and now please hear from me, God, but instead changes it around so you go, I've already been bought and paid for and I need an audience with my dad. Unless we change that model, the Holy Spirit can't do his work in your life and be present with you all the time. He says, I'm gonna blow up the system. And when I do, I'll send the Holy Spirit. Verse eight, when he comes, this is awesome. This is what he does. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. I love this. One version says he will convict and convince the world. Do you understand that it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict and convince, to prove the world what's up, what's down, what's right, what's wrong, what's left, what's right, How things work. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Some of you are like, but that's my job. I'm really good at tweeting out what's good, what's right, what's just. I am the king of Facebook posting, reposting what's good, what's right, what's just. How many times have you seen that change of heart? (laughs) Yeah. But why are we convinced that it's our job to try to convince the world of what's good, what's right, what's just when it comes to sin and righteousness? Holy Spirit says, that's my job. When I come, I will do that part. You did not change from a position of sin to righteousness because someone tweeted at you. Because someone left you a nasty letter. If you're old school, it was probably wrapped and folded like a little heart thing. You pulled it apart and it was like, you stink. Right? Those are the old school tweets, my generation. That's not how that worked at all. Instead, what happened? Someone gave you a picture of a God in heaven who loves you, who sent his only son to pay the price for you, and the Holy Spirit showed up, and suddenly you went, wow, I could be more like God. There's a better plan. And some of the things I thought were good are not good. And some of the things I thought were bad are good. And God's shaping me and molding me and transforming me, and I want to become more like him and please my Father because I know how much he loves me and what he designed me for. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah my job that's my job just saying verse 9 and judgment about sin because people don't believe in me about righteousness because i'm going to the father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned so he's like i'm going to be the one that corrects everything don't worry the holy spirit is not on a break he's working and he's doing his work some of you are like but the holy spirit's not moving fast enough If he was, he'd fix all these far-right people or he'd fix all these far-left people. If he's working fast enough, he'd fix all these indecisive middle people. He'd fix them all. Pick a side. My side, because it's right. He says, I got this. I got this. Then verse 12. (laughs) This is so cool. Thank you, Jesus, for verse 12. He says, I got much more to say to you. It's just more than you can now bear. (laughs) He's like... I'm going to keep talking and I'm going to keep working on you. But if I gave it more to you right now, you would crack. And I love you enough to know that you just can't handle that. And isn't this true about Jesus? Isn't it true the longer that you've been walking with God and the Holy Spirit's been activated in your life, the more you can bear as it goes. And you look back and God's done things for you now that if he tried to do those things for you in year one, in week one of knowing God, you couldn't have handled it. You couldn't have handled God going after your anger problem in week one. You couldn't. You just needed to know you were loved and okay. And every once in a while, that anger had to blow up out of you, and it was okay. But you know what? About year three, you were just going to town, and you're like, let me tell you about this, and the time you did this, and I'm still mad about this. And all of a sudden, that nudge head, hey, hey, that's, that's not the thing. And you were like, oh. And it was like a light bulb went off, right? and you could bear it. Jesus is like, there's so much truth coming, but you can't handle it all in a moment. It's okay that you want the truth, but if I gave it all to you right now, it'd break you. So in my kindness, I'm sending the Spirit, verse 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will, listen to this word, guide you into all truth. Guide you. The picture here is he'll take your hand, And he'll walk you through the stuff that you need to hear and you need to know so that you can live in more truth than you have right now. He will guide you in all truth. He's not going to speak on his own. He'll only speak what he hears. He's got the same rules that I got. Everything's coming through the Father, right? But he's going to tell you what is and what's yet to come. And I love this picture. He'll guide us in all truth. He's leading us, helping us along the way. I love this picture that the Holy Spirit knows what to show you and when. Because you can't handle the truth sometimes, guys. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. There's some things about you right now you can't handle the truth on. You just can't. This is why we are bad agents of the truth to one another that way. We got to let the Holy Spirit deal with sin and conviction and all those kinds of things. Because I might recognize some truth about you quicker than you're ready to deal with it. And one of the least helpful things I can do is get into your face and be like, let me give you some truth, sucker." That's not gonna work. That heart is wrong, that attitude is wrong, and that assignment is wrong. The Holy Spirit has that assignment. And I gotta trust God enough and love you enough to let the Holy Spirit guide you in truth, take you along, and speak to you in the timing that you can handle it. That it doesn't mean I gotta accept your lie as reality for me. Right? I'm not endorsing your non-truth and saying, oh yeah, that's okay. Just keep on doing that thing that's devastating for your life. I'm not doing that. But it's not my assignment. That's the Holy Spirit's assignment to guide you, direct you, and teach you. My job is to come alongside and believe in you and pray for you and trust God in you. And if I have that kind of relationship to get into the text of message that I got from God and say, this is how that worked for me. And let the testimony, the story of my life, hopefully be a directing piece to you. There's so many things the Holy Spirit's guided me along, along the way. You know, it's funny. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time now. I was trying to think about it. I'm like, man, it's 25, 30 years I've been walking with Jesus now, 25 years about. And there's stuff that in the last couple years, God's just been showing me about me that I couldn't handle 20 years ago. I was, uh, we gonna have an honest, transparent moment with Pastor Mike. I was about four years ago. I was sitting down with my former pastor. He was my pastor when I was growing up, and uh, so he knows my family like really well. Like he sat down with my crazy now deceased stepdad and his alcoholism and what I grew up in, and and uh, and he asked me how I was doing, and I was like, "I'm doing fine, whatever." You know, normal conversation where you don't want to get to too much truth. <laughs> and he asked me a weird question. He goes, "Mike, did you ever go to counseling?" I'm like, "No, I've done a lot of counseling for people, but I've never been to counseling." He goes, did you ever go like to any of the, uh, you know, the the support stuff for families of alcoholics or any of those kinds of things? And I was like, no, I never did any. My mom did a lot of that stuff, but, you know, I just got out of the house at 17 and was done. I just never went back and that was fine. He goes, so you never dealt with any of the lingering effects of some of that stuff? And I was like, I don't have any lingering effects. And he starts to chuckle. And he's like, let me read to you some of the things that are on the list of adult children of alcoholics. Tell me if any of these things resonate. And he starts reading some things off the the list. I don't swear much. I'm not a swearer anymore. I kind of crushed that in my life more or less. But there was some profanity in me that wanted to come out as I felt this guy reading my laundry... Like it was some clinical diagnosis. I'm like, you can't, I don't fit a diagnosis. I'm unique because of my experience. He's like, yeah, that's number four. (laughs) You think I'm joking. (laughs) I can't make that up. He's like, that's a common thing for people who came through what you came through. Your experience is so unique. No one can connect with you. It's unreasonable for anyone else to be able to expect to connect with you because your experience is so unique. I get it. I've been serving Jesus 20 years at this point. For the first time in my life, the Holy Spirit was ready to walk me through some of that stuff. I had to go to counseling just for accountability's sake to to say I had gone to someone and talked about this stuff. i got to tell you, can I just be honest with you? As a guy who has never, like, charged for account, it's so weird to walk into accounting and be like, here's 100 bucks, can I talk to you? Like, it was so weird for me. To do that, my pride was, had to break, and then I had to realize, you know what, everyone should go and speak to a Christian counselor every once in a while and just get your stuff. It was so healing for me and important for me, and I'm not embarrassed to talk about it now, but I can tell you, 21 years ago or whatever, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have heard that truth. And if you got in my face and said, you need to hear some truth, Mike, you've got baggage because of what you've been through and you better go deal with it. You would have met a different Mike. I would have prickled up. I was in much better shape and I might have taken some swings at you. The Holy Spirit was working on me, but there was anger stuff I was going to have to deal with before I got to that place. There was forgiveness stuff I had to deal with before I got to that place. I couldn't start healing some of those things in me until some other things got healed. And the Holy Spirit in his kindness guided me through. So you're going to walk through this right now. You're not ready for that yet. If I gave you that, you'll break. And when it was time, you know what he gave me? He gave me it. And I didn't break. It was hard. And I had to be honest about things I didn't even know that I wasn't being honest about. I think number seven is you don't even know you're lying. You don't even realize it's so so instinctive to defend that time and to lie. You've been programmed to lie about that abusive scenario so hard that you don't even know you're lying when you talk about it. And I'm sitting here with this man who canceled my father, who was kind of the thing, the instigator of this. And I'm telling him it wasn't that bad. And he's like, you're lying right now. Right now, do you even know you're lying? You've been pastoring for 15 years, and you can't even recognize that you're lying right now when you talk about it. And here's the Holy Spirit in his kindness saying, guess what we're going to work on now, Mike? We're going to work on this. I don't have this laundry list of, of sin that I had when I, when I first started following Jesus. I ain't perfect. But there used to be this laundry list, right? And I would like kind of try to tackle one thing at a time. I work on my profanity. Not that all profanity is sin, but I knew it was coming from a place that wasn't healthy for me. It was coming from anger. And so I am judging you if you swear. You just sound like hell on earth. You're not. Doesn't mean you are hell. Uh, you just sound like it. And so that's okay, right? But but <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm just, bring me home, Jesus. Some other things we're still working on. We haven't got to my humor yet. Okay. He's guiding me, he's taking me there, step at a time, a step at a time, we're being honest about it. So here's the Holy Spirit, he's guiding me, directing me. And in his kindness, he's He's speaking through people, talking to my heart, and then I have to go and I have to change, and I have to grow and I have to live. And this is me listening to the voice of God in my life, 20 something years. After the first time the Holy Spirit came and in his kindness told me I was loved and I was okay. He knows what to show me When. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, Donald, if you can hang with me. So Jesus goes to the cross, conquers the grave, comes back. He goes and finds Peter in John chapter 21. He's like, stop fishing, come back, follow me. We're going to do this one. And then we get to the book of Acts, and Acts is the, the picture of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we don't have the time right now to walk through all of the nuances of the Holy Spirit. And I don't even have time to argue with you on theology about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is and whether you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus or you have to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How does that work? Was there one baptism? Is there two baptisms? Every time I read it, I believe a little bit differently. Just being honest with you, and God shows me nuances and new things, and I I could talk to you about, you know, is the Holy Spirit? Is there the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Is there the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is there empowering of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes upon you for a season to do something. Sometimes He lives with you. I mean, I mean, it's all throughout the Scripture. It's this because it's so relational. It's not programmatic, and it's God's favor and his power and his authority, and he's doing what you need where you're at to accomplish his plan with you and through you and in you, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing. And so Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 that he's, uh, he's like, I, they're all gathered, and, he's, and they're, they're like, is now the time you're finally going to restore the king? He's like, are you finally going to wipe out the Romans? Like, you conquered death. The Romans shouldn't be that hard. Can you just kill all the Romans for us before you leave? And he says to them, It's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. And he's like, You're still asking the wrong questions. It's okay. Remember, if I tried to tell you everything at once, you wouldn't get it. He goes, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I could remember, I could just assume they remember him saying, remember that streams of life that's going to come into you and be out of you? You're going to have that now. You're going to have power. And the point of that power is so that you can be my witnesses, so you can tell the story of what I'm doing in your life, and you're going to do that everywhere you go. And there's about 100 people present here, the disciples and some other people that are there. And I can just imagine them saying, wait a second, if you don't wipe out the Romans and we have to go to the the, the ends of the earth, as far as we know, that's the ends of the Roman Empire. Can you just wipe out, like, can you just take out all the hostility and deal with all the tension and deal with all the cultural things? And he goes, I'm not going to deal with all the cultural things. I'm going to send you into the heart of culture and you're going to be my witnesses. And I'm going to empower you to tell the story and tell the truth and be my witnesses Everywhere you go, every place you go, and confidence and power is going to flow through you, and I'm going to grow you, and he's going to guide you, and he's going to direct you. And then you turn the page, and in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the first sermon uh, uh, post-Jesus uh, death and resurrection. And then at the end of this sermon, it's a beautiful sermon, everyone's like, they stand up, and they're like, what do we do? And he's like, you've got to repent, you've got to be baptized, and you've got to receive the Holy Spirit. And 2,000 people come and become followers of Jesus in that moment and get empowered with the same Holy Spirit that Jesus has been describing to us this whole time. And then there's this crazy season of everyone in a different place with God, and he's guiding and directing them, and some of them are still dealing with moral things, and some of them are dealing with intellectual things, and some of them are dealing with theological things, and some of them are dealing with philosophical things, and God merges them together in these families, in these churches, in these bodies, and, and it's messy, and it's not uh, it's not uh, 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 this clean, orderly thing, but God's it's organic and natural, and we're figuring it out, and, and we're sharpening each other, and we're growing, and the Holy Spirit's empowering us, and we're starting to recognize the image of God in people who are nothing like us, us, and so we're being loving and kind towards people who don't think like us or look like us or smell like us or come from the same background, ethnic and and, and uh, sociological, and, 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 and it, it's just this beautiful mosaic of people coming together because the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing them. And this church explodes, and it's amazing. And there's time when the Holy Spirit shows up in power, and there's times when they're just kind of, because they are catalysts of the Holy Spirit, the river of light just comes out of them and it's messy, and it's not simple, and it's not packaged in some some clean lines. It paints all over all the lines. And God says, I just love all these people, and I bring them together, and it's the church. And that's the legacy that we're still in, that we're still following. And then Paul shows up, and he starts teaching and correcting it, and trying to give him some picture of how it works and he says crazy things like in Ephesians he says don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit and it's like this picture I love this picture in particular because because this picture is like and I, I don't drink and, and so uh, I don't have a full picture of it but I've been around it a lot but when you get drunk you're not just forever drunk Right? You don't get drunk once and then that's just, you're just full of that the whole time. right? You come down on the other side, you have a headache, you're grumpy, you throw things. Maybe you don't throw things, but right? the other side of that happens. And he's like, you shouldn't get drunk on that, but you're going to taste from the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to fill you. And there's going to be times when you're full and overflowing because the Spirit has poured into you. But it's going to be a constant thing you have to go back to and redo and renew and restore and refill. That's the picture that Paul's painting here, right? You're not going to just get one taste of the Holy Spirit, and then that's going to be everything you need to stay at that level with him forever. He's going to constantly replenish you. You're going to go back to him, and he's going to give you more, and he's going to give you what you need next. And it's awesome. I know it's all over the place. Are you with me, church? You're tracking with me? Paul's making an illustration here, right? He's like, you don't just drink one time and then, woo, you're done, right? It's a process. You got to go back. You got to order three more shots of Holy Spirit. I don't know. Is that a lot? Probably feels like a lot. I won't pick on anyone and ask them. He says, that's how it's going to work. And then he tells the Roman church in Romans chapter 8, he goes, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. He's like, listen, every single one, of you know how many times I have people wondering, do I have the Holy Spirit? It's like, you following Jesus? Then the answer is yes. You're like, wait a second. Someone told me way back when that there was this three-step process. Are you trusting Jesus and following Jesus and living with Jesus? Paul says, Anyone that doesn't have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. You belong to Christ? The answer is yes. Is he prompting you? Is he resurfacing text messages in you? Is he bringing you healing and wholeness and taking you step by step to the next place? Then yes, that's what he does. That's how he works. You're like, what about all these gifts and all this other stuff? Yes, there's more. And he's going to take you step by step into each place and give you more and give you more. And the end result of that is going to be the fruit of the spirit right? Jesus like, you stay connected to the vine, you be the branch, and then guess what's going to come out of you? The fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there's no love. And Paul's like, this is the stuff that's going to be the evidence of that Spirit connection, of you being led by the Spirit, and that's what's going to flow out of you. Now, I wanted to give you some t- tools before I leave. I got like two minutes. I'm gonna give you just three tools that are gonna be easy for you to remember. And I'm just gonna challenge you to do this at least one time this week and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, okay? Three tools, simple ones. Number one, set an appointment. You wanna spend some time and hear from the Holy Spirit? Set an appointment. Those of you that are calendar people, set an appointment. Well, when should I do it? Does the Bible say I have to get up at 4.30 a.m. because that's the most spiritual time to be with God? I don't know, are you very spiritual at 4.30 a.m.? If you are, then make that appointment. If you are not, do not do that. Because the thing he's going to be working on is something else, right? When are you at your best? When do you do the appointments that are the ones that charge you, that fill you the gate? Are you a lunchtime person? Set a lunch appointment. Do you have to wait till after the kids have gone to bed? Set an evening appointment. But make an appointment one time this week, somewhere, set an appointment. Set a time Set a place. Say, God, I'm just gonna give you an opportunity to speak to me. Maybe your place is Starbucks with your headphones in and some worship music going. Maybe it's Chick Fil A, Christian chicken kind of as a catalyst for the Holy Spirit. I hear. <laughs> teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Maybe it's a park. Maybe there's a room in your house that you go to. Maybe it's here and you just need to come in and use the sanctuary. Set a time, set a place. Once you get to your time and place, here's the challenge. Be silent, be still. Do the things you need to do, pray, read, spend a little bit of time, listen to some worship music, and then take some time and be silent and be still. Pastor Mike, what does that have to do anything? Well, you look through the scripture and time and time again, be still and know that I am God. Be still and wait patiently for me. Time and time again, be still, be still, be still. You know what's funny to me? Every time I'm like, this is, I'm gonna take some time to hear from the Holy Spirit and I, and I push all the distraction aside, that's the time when the most volume and chaos begins to happen in my brain. Here's what I realized about that. That volume and chaos is always going on in my brain. I just have so much exterior volume and chaos, I can't even hear the internal volume and chaos. Did you catch that? I, can't, I don't even know. I think, oh, I'm going to try and be quiet and be still. And then there's a oh, fight going on in my brain. That fight's going on all the time. It is. I just can't hear it because there's other things leaning already on top of that. That's like on level three, layer three of the chaos that's going on. And so you're going to have to push through some of the noise. And you're going to have to be silent, which means get the distraction out and be still. Don't try to be the catalyst. Let him be the catalyst. Don't try to lay out for him. This is what I need, this is what I need, this is what I need, what need, what I need. Stop. Take a deep breath. Let the Holy Spirit speak. Let him guide you. Let him surface whatever he wants to do. Wait patiently. And this one's not fair, but I'm gonna do this to you. Write it down. Write it down. You're like, I hate writing. Good. Do something you don't like to build something new into your life. I love writing. Good. Use your gifts. Write it down. Why it's important to write it down because you will lose it as soon as the noise turns back on and you'll go back and you're like, ah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I kind of heard this, but it was kind of. So write it down. Whatever he speaks, however he speaks. If after a little while of being silent and being still, you're just not sure, maybe write out, God, here's what I'm, here's what I'm really needing you for. And then listen, and then I'm gonna give you even just a, an opportunity to kind of st- channel that river of life. And, and then if you can't feel, if you're like, oh, I'm still so silent, I'm not hearing from God, then I want you to j- just write out what you think the Holy Spirit would respond. And see if that river of life doesn't flow out of you a little bit there. And then come back at some point during the week and look and see if God's not working on the places that you gave him permission to access, so you can listen, because his sheep know his voice. He knows them, and they follow him. Would you stand? If I had time, I'd talk about the different ways his voice sounds throughout the scripture. I'd talk about Elijah after the Mount Carmel experience, my favorite story in the scripture. And he's frustrated and he's angry and he's trying to hear from God and a mighty wind comes and God's not in the wind. You know the story, First Kings 19, and a fire comes and God's not in the fire. There's an earthquake and God's not in the earthquake. And we think God's voice should sound like power and authority and it should be demonstrative. And he should say, go here, don't go here, do this, don't do that. And then Elijah in the, in the, in the midst of all that noise is quiet and still and he hears a whisper. And God's voice speaks to him in a whisper. And God's in the whisper. And what's the significance of a whisper? You see, I can't hear a whisper unless I'm close. And God draws close and he draws near. And he says, yeah, all that fireworks and all that earthquake and all that wind and all that noise and all that sound and all that power, I have authority over all that stuff. But if you want to know my voice, you got to get close to me. I'm going to say one more thing because if I don't say it I feel like I missed this for you and so I'm trying to just deposit I know it's too much information I'm sorry but I want to just say this if you only try to hear from the Holy Spirit when it's big stuff every 6 months there's a big thing going on every couple years there's a big thing going on every every so often it's like oh there's now a big thing and now I'm going to try to hear from the Holy Spirit you may find it's much more difficult to suddenly hear from a God that you haven't been spending time listening to all along. This is why the text message is so important. This is why scheduling time and just letting him speak to you is so important, because you'll be in tune to his voice. And when the big stuff comes, it'll be like, oh, there's my dad, Jesus, who calls me friend, and he's talking to me. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to let you go, and we'll go get that stampeding kids from upstairs. <laughs> Jesus, we love you, and we're so grateful that you came and redeemed what it meant to be human and displayed for us the love of the Father, and then you taught us in clear language that you were sending a guide and a counselor and a helper that would help us figure out how to move forward in all truth, and then you did it, and you created this opportunity Holy Spirit for you to come and speak to us and guide us and direct us in all truth and we need it even when we don't know what we need because you know what we need next and so we trust you and I pray God that we would be a church that hears from you that we'd be open to hearing from you and that you would demonstrate your faithfulness in this season help us to grow help us to see that the Holy Spirit working your Holy Spirit working in people that you don't even agree with, that we don't even like. Help us to to see what you see change us by the power and authority of your Holy Spirit so that we can be effective witnesses here in this time and in this season so that every single soul we can encounter would know the incredible love of the Father and creator of the universe. That's the whole picture. And we thank you for it. Thanks for loving us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.